0: It is great to see all of you today. So, you know, our routine around the around the house, me and my wife, we get up in the morning and we get our cup of coffee and we sit out on the back and we've got bird feeders and the birders arrive and all that stuff. And so I, you know, getting up with the time change was a little difficult. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, you can thank Ben Franklin for that. And uh, that's why the man never became the president of the United States was right there messing with that with us. But I, I, we got out there, and we have our coffee. We're sitting there. It's a little dark, and all the birds are coming. I'm like, honey, it's amazing that the birds are coming earlier to the feeders. And she goes, I need to remind you that the birds did not change their clocks. You, you know this doesn't affect nature in any way. But for some reason, I just thought that, that adjusting the clocks, that the birds were out there adjusting their little clocks, and I was showing up early. But I'm glad you guys are here today. I, I know it's kind of tough to lose that hour of sleep. Um, If you were here Wednesday, you've probably joined us with our theme on Lent. And if you don't know what Lent is, just go on to our podcast. You can download our app and it'll tell you all about it, tell you some of the cool stuff, some of the stuff that maybe you learned as a Catholic or a Lutheran that maybe you could lighten up a little bit on, you know, because it always was like a bad thing. So I encourage you to download it. But one of the things that we learned is that Lent is a time of being mindful. Uh, Not mindful about how wicked and bad we are, but having our minds full of what fills God's mind. And one of the things that fills the mind of God is kindness. So we are just, instead of giving up chocolate, because nobody's life was ever made better by giving up chocolate, remember, misery does not begat holiness. Just because you make your life more difficult doesn't mean you're getting closer to God. But well, we've got a couple things that we're doing through the month of March. We invite you to join us. They're all on the app. The first one is going to be helping foster parents with the Bear Foundation. I know a lot of us can't foster parent. Maybe it's just not our time. But we can help other parents that are doing it by we're making these little gift bags that we're going to give them to each of the parents so it kind of refresh them in the middle of their journey. And we invite you to be a part of that. We're doing that this week. So you've got a handout describing that. Also, we have a blood drive. Um, there's there's a great need for blood right now, and we're having a blood drive this month that you can be a part of, so if you can just give up your forearm for about five minutes, you'll be able to help another person's life and be able to give a little kindness into their lives. And then the third one we're doing this month is March 30th is the Walk for Water. We'll all get together, raise money, and then have an enjoyable Saturday together walking to provide water for those in remote parts of the world that don't get clean water. See, that's what Lent is supposed to be about. It's about increasing the amount of mindfulness of God in our own minds and his kindness in other people's lives. And we invite you to be a part of that as well. But you know, we've been talking about manifesto and we've been going through all of it. And as we've been using Nehemiah and how he's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and that applies to us, in the sense that our lives need rebuilding. We live in a world that's kind of been deconstructed, in a way, maybe in our marriages or just in our culture. But there's been some deconstruction that's going on that we need to rebuild in our personal lives. And we've learned a lot of things about the challenges that he experienced. We learned about seeking God's wisdom. We learned about establishing God's work. We learned about protecting the work, we learned about doing the work together, and then last week we learned that God will meet us in the middle but not halfway, that he will meet us in the middle of our mess and our situation and our brokenness, but he doesn't come halfway, he comes all the way. He brings us all of his grace into our lives, and these are very important principles as we begin the process of writing a manifesto. And and today we're going to conclude our series, and we're gonna talk a little bit about the technicalities of writing a manifesto, the how-tos. And if you're new here at Crosstown, you haven't listened to any of this series, I think you can reverse engineer this. I think as you hear today, you'll be able to understand what the series is about, and also you can download some of that. Uh, Next week we'll be starting a new series called Frequency. And that is developing the ability to cut through the noise of the world around us. And and how do I hear the voice of God? You know, how do I hear God speak to me individually and personally? But today we're we're going to take a look at Joshua. And we're going to look to see how Joshua constructs his manifesto. Now... We're gonna give you all the notes for this. Right now, on your app, if you opened it up, you would notice you could refresh it, and all the notes that I'm gonna talk about today are in there. So, the reason why I tell you that is just relax. I know you could be jotting down things and, and and taking a lot of notes, and that's all good. But maybe this would be a time where you just kind of like let it sit in you, and then you could download the notes and then break them out for yourself personally. So we we kind of went the extra step to make sure that you had these notes. Um, and also, I'm talking really fast because I'm hooked up on coffee, and I drank way too much coffee between the two series. As a matter of fact, there was a, a set of grandparents that came up and they saw me after the service, and they said. Uh, uh, we kept our grandson in the service, he's ADHD. And I said, oh, okay, that's cool. That's, that's, that's what we're all about here. And they said, well, no, the amazing thing was is um, he, you didn't lose his interest the whole time. And, and I said, really? I mean, because that made me happy. You know, I was like, that made me happy. And she, she said, and he leaned over and t- said to me, this guy talks really fast. And I was like, when a little eight-year-old ADHD boy tells you you're talking fast, you're talking fast. But let me encourage you, we've got a lot to get through today. And so we're going to take a look at Joshua. And Joshua writes a manifesto. And, and if you're not familiar with him, he's the commander of the armies. Moses has died. They're on the edge of the promised land. And he's trying to get everybody on the same page. It's kind of a vision moment, a manifesto moment. So he's, he's trying, to, trying to force them to think about where are they going next? Not so much what is the next geographical step, but as you're entering into this land of promise, um, do you have it laid out what you're going to do when you get there, or, or why is this the land of promise, or why are you on this journey? Because I think a lot of us know that once we get into a marriage, we're kind of like, well, we knew how to get into one, but we didn't really know what to do when we got into one, or maybe into a career or a job or into a family. So he really wants to lay this out. So he he communicates to them some elements I think we can pull out and use uh, to think about when we start constructing our own manifestos. So in Joshua 24, 24, verse 14, I've been in the South a long time, and I love it too. I love it. Um, Now listen to what he says. Now fear the Lord and serve him in, in sincerity and in truth. One of the components of our manifesto is going to be that it honors God's authority. That's a really big deal and that's something that needs to be established right up front. He says fear the Lord and, and it's not fear in the sense that well he's really gonna, he's gonna donk you on the head if you some, do something wrong. But it's more the idea of establishing an order of, of priority in your life. And he says revere the Lord or fear the Lord, meaning let, let's, God's purposes come first. And in our manifesto, that needs to be something that is, that is put down quickly, is that we, we have a manifesto that honors God's authority and that it serves his purposes. This is not writing a manifesto just to get more money, to get a better job, get a, get a, you know, a, a pretty girlfriend or, or a handsome fellow, but rather it's, it's something that we're putting in there that immediately establishes the authority of God in your life. He says, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And what that means for us is that a manifesto should adhere to some sort of um, godly integrity and to some sort of truth. It's not just this nebulous idea that I'm going to honor God with my life. But rather it breaks down into kind of like propositional pieces. I mean like real, knowable ideas. I think everybody here believes in God. I think everybody here, for the most part, would say that you want to honor God or that you want to revere God. But when he talks about sincerity and truth, well, that means it's kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of rocks up there, but now I'm going to pick up a particular rock, and I'm going to look at that rock particularly and see what makes up the attributes of that rock. So when he says, serve the Lord, he doesn't just say generally, yeah, serve God. You know, go about your day and be mindful of God. But he says in sincerity and truth, meaning that there are these god- this godly integrity thing that should be built into my manifesto. Something about the character of God. Something about the truth of God in my life. Something that is very specific. It's not overly general, but kind of begins to say, listen, I'm going to be something like God. I want God's truth and God's quality into my life. Then he goes on from this point, he moves and he says this. And this sounds like a lot, but it, there's a real good point to it. Joshua says, And put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, well, choose for yourself today whom you will serve. This is very important. Whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, he says. But you got to make a choice. Your manifesto should define how you're going to interact with your surrounding culture. He says you got to choose how you're going to handle culture in your life. What kind of impact it's going to have? And I, I love the way he puts it out there: that hey, if you don't you don't like God, cool. Well then, serve that. If if your culture is, I mean, if your manifesto is all about serving the world as far as doing what the world tells you to do, he's like, well, go ahead and do that too. But you're going to have to make a decision on how you're going to interact with your culture. So not only in your manifesto should there be a declaration about the authority of God in your life or about living in godly character, but also there should be something in there that kind of protects you and guides you on how you're going to interact with the world around you. Can you imagine what your 8-year-old son, how important it is for your 8-year-old son to hear his mom or his dad declare how they're going to interact with the world? How important Facebook's going to be? How important Instagram's going to be? How important Twitter's going to be? How important is politics going to be? How important is Hollywood going to be? How important what I see on TV is going to be? But Joshua is very clear that in your manifesto you've got to decide about serving God, but you also got to decide what you're going to do with your culture. Your kids need to see how you handle your culture, that you don't just take whatever comes down the pipe and that you just, you know, we, we do that because that's what other families do or that's what I saw on Facebook. But that needs to be something that's built into your manifesto to help remind you about who you're serving and how you're going to interact with the culture around you. And then he goes into another part. And I love this part. He says, But as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. See, the, the manifesto addresses your sphere of influence. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But, he, but he, he, he says, As for me, in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, I like the fact that he uses this, this phrase, for me, in my house. For me, I kind of approach this a little bit more abstract, that I'm not thinking about the building with the garage and the living room and the kitchen and all that kind of idea. But I'm thinking about it more, and I think Joshua may have thought about it more, is the body of the work of my life. It's like my house, who I am, you know? you know like my life has different components to it and and the full body of my work, the house of my life that he says as for me and my house, my influence my my the parts of who I am that make up this thing called my house he says I'm going to bring my house into serving the Lord. This is not just controlling your kids, but I think for for Joshua. This was more about the house of who you are as a person extending into the house of where you live. And for me, I've always borrowed this, and this is really important to me, and you could maybe use it, but it was always important. uh, The Greeks were heavy into this. Aristotle loved this stuff, and it really really touched me at a young point in my life. It's to break up my life into like three different parts. Uh, Not so much mind, soul, and body, which which is a cool idea, and it's a very biblical idea, but how to understand what that means, uh, this idea of house. Well, they used to say things like this, your logos, your pathos, and your ethos. So that really makes sense to me. Your logos is the logic of your life, the reasons that you do what you do, the words that come out of you. They're the facts of your life like, okay, what do you adhere to? What do you think about? What is your source of your belief system? What is your empirical database? And what is it about your life, your words? And Joshua says, the logos, the logic of my life, the thoughts of my life, the arrangement of my my world view, he says, that's going to serve God. I get it from God, and I arrange it in such a way that it serves God. So I serve the Lord not only with what I say, but the words behind what I say, the thoughts and the facts behind my life. I derive them from God, and I use them to live my life for God. That's part of my house. Call that your, your garage. Then he says also, we talk about this idea of pathos. Your pathos is your Passion. I mean, that's what turns you on. That's what you're excited about. That's what you're into. That's what drives your life. It's, it's more than just a hobby, but it, it, it's, it's like, what am I about as a person, and, and what really gets me going? And for Joshua, the things of God is what got him going. And for me, I, I look at my passions, and are my passions God-directed? Are my passions things I get from God? You know, you could say, well, I, I'm not really a kind person. Um, I'm just not that temperament. Well, what Joshua is saying is for me in my house, my logos and my pathos, if God's passionate about kindness, then I must be passionate about kindness. You say, well, I'm not a very kind person. Well, get over it. You know, I mean, well, then become a kind person through the power of the Holy Spirit and the logic and the putting into the principles of God's word into your life. So that we call that like the living room of this this house. And then Joshua goes on and we talk about the ethos. That's the area of your character. That's who you are. That's where your words and your life become a living ethic. I think this is where a lot of us turned away from Christianity when we, whether it was because of somebody that we knew or somebody we were raised with, who had a belief system but it didn't become their ethos. They could always tell us when we were doing something wrong, but it never actually became their house. It never became, you know, the kitchen of their lives. It never really was, it's not what they were cooking all the time. You didn't see the, smell the fragrance of godly character or God pursuit in their lives. They could tell you that was wrong, but it really, you know, um, it really wasn't what they were about. It's kind of like Ralphie in A Christmas Story, when he gets his mouth washed out for saying the word, fudge, as you remember. But he blames on hearing the word fudge from one of his friends in school, but really he hears it from his dad all along. But yet it's his dad and his mom that are washing his mouth out. Because there is, the problem is, is that there isn't a matchup of the ethos and the ethic. And so when Joshua says, as for me and my house, he says, listen, my the reasons why I do things, my words, my, my passion, and the character of my life, I want to bring into the alignment of God. I I wanted to serve God. I wanted to have the sincerity and the truth of God throughout my life. This is the power of of manifesto. These are the things that we we write into the manifesto. And and in a second, I'm going to give you a couple examples of what those manifestos look like. But after this, Joshua begins to talk to the crowd and and echo... um, And they begin to echo their desire to hear this manifesto. Um, He gives them this big speech, and they're like, yeah, we're with you, Joshua. That sounds awesome. And you may be with me here today, and you're hearing, I don't think there's anybody here. Don't yell out if you don't agree with me, but, I mean, you can yell at me afterwards, but don't yell out at this particular moment. Um, I don't think there's anybody that's disagreeing with anything that I've said up to this point. I think you all realize you have a logos and uh, a pathos and an ego, uh, ethos. I think we all understand that, you know, there's a fear of the Lord and your life should be consistent with the truth that you speak. You know, I think we, we all agree with that. And and maybe you'll hear it today and you'll walk out of here and it's like, man, that, that really makes sense. And, and you're just like me. Do you know that by Wednesday I will forget what I've spoken on on Sunday? So I'm guessing by like eight o'clock tonight, you've totally forgotten what I've talked about. And, and I, I, don't, I don't fault you on that at all. But we can easily walk out of here and we're all in agreement with this. Like, that sounds like a great idea. And this is what the Israelites do. They're like, man, yeah, I wanna do that. And Joshua's like, no, you don't. And they're like, no, we really wanna do. It. We wanna be a part of what you're talking about. That's a great idea. So he takes it one more step. Because he knows they'll forget by, if the pastor's gonna forget by Wednesday, they're gonna forget by Sunday night. So he makes an agreement with them about everything that's been talked about, and then he writes it down. But he takes it one step further. Um, He builds this large stone and puts it in a key location uh, near a big famous tree. Now, if you're a theologian or a Bible scholar here, you know that I just ran through a bunch of Hebrew words that I couldn't pronounce. But that was kind of the simple way to do it. But what he does is he, he gets some stones, and from the Hebrew we know that it's not just like one stone that he puts here and he says, this stone here to remind you, but we know that the word build is connected with this process. So we don't know if he's putting a couple stones together, stacking them on the top of each other, or he's putting down some, some concrete block and putting some concrete in between it, and he's stacking up and he's making it. But we do know he's making something. And we also know that he's making it, and he's putting it under this famous oak tree. I mean, they actually had a name for the tree. And back then, they didn't have GS, uh, GPS. So everything was geographically navigated. Yeah, you go up to that big stone there on the right, and then you'll see a waterfall in about a mile and a half, and take a left there, and then you go on over to that big oak tree. You remember that big oak tree? So this is part of where they go in and they go out of the Promised Land while they're making their journeys. And he realizes that it's really important that when you make a walk into agreement with God that you got to remind yourself of it as you're going through your daily journey. Through your daily life, as you're on your travels through through the world around you, so he gets this to remind them about this manifesto. So I want you to listen to it as he describes it. Now it's going to sound a little harsh. Now we can either say that it's a little harsh uh, because Joshua is like an A-type commander, you know, he's a military commander, so he's not really all that you know soft with his words, or it could be just the way they all. Got it. You know, you understand it? I mean, I get things real easy if you just make sense. But sometimes, you, ha- you know, for other people, you may have to be like, hey, you know, you got to say it a little bit different. But I want you, to, want you to hear what he says. Joshua 24, 27. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be for a witness against you. Now, that kind of sounds like, hey, I'm going to put this big stone here to make you feel guilty about you. Or that when you screw up, this thing is going to be against you. But he's not using it in that context. He goes on to say, For it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us, thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. So he's not saying it will be a witness against you when you deny your God. He's saying, no, I'm going to put this thing here to kind of remind you about When you're busy between soccer games, when you're busy going to school, when you're busy working late, when you're busy in the middle of a difficult marriage situation, when you're busy raising your kids, he goes, I'm going to put this here to remind you that there's an agreement between you and God. There are promises, there are truths that are between you and God. And this is to come along and be a source of accountability for you. Somebody that kind of, hey, come on, man, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Just, just ask the Lord to forgive you and it's, it's all done and let's get back to it. And, and so that's what he does. Is he, he creates this thing to be a source of accountability. Now if you move forward with actually writing a manifesto, which is I think is very important, uh, let me remind you. Failing your manifesto does not mean you failed God. The last thing the Christian church needs is another object for you to kill yourself with, or another object to shame yourself with, you know, like you put up this manifesto and the moment you mess it up that you're like, oh, that sucks, I didn't do that, and you throw it away. This is not, this is not something to wound yourself or, or to hurt yourself or to kill yourself with, but it is something that will hold you accountable, that in those times of navigating and those times of when you've lost your journey a little bit, or maybe you're going through the business of life that it reminds you, yeah, 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 this is, this is what I'm about. It's, maybe it will be that thing that your kids will pass in front of, and they'll remember when dad's got, a, got some issues and he's, they don't understand dad right now, that they can look up on this manifesto and they can see, yeah, yeah, that's what pop's about. I, I know he said that, but I know this is what my dad's really about. I've asked Ted and Brenton to come and share their manifestos with us. And, and what they have done is they've, I had a little small group that talked about manifestos. And we read a book together and we talked about kind of constructing this as, as I was learning about it. And, and so they did exactly like what the Hebrew word talked about the stone, that he put the stone someplace. Well, they actually built something, and, and there's no rules about what it is that you built. Why Joshua picked a stone, maybe it was the only resource that was available. He could have made a video. Um, he could have written something, but he decided uh, uh, to use a stone. But I've asked these guys to come on up, and and you wrote manifestos, and what I'd like to do was, I'd like you to read your manifesto and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about the process that you went through in your manifesto. And also, what I want you to hear is I want you to hear how completely different these manifestos are. And 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 that's beautiful because um your manifesto is gonna be an expression of God's work in your life. So you don't have to write one just like me or just like like Brenton or or Ted, but it's it's how you, God works it in your life. That's the beautiful thing. Uh, Brenton, why don't you read yours to us?
1: So I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And I believe that through his grace and crucifixion crucif- crucif- and resurrection, I'm a child of God. I am free of the guilt of past mistakes. I will crush the demons of anxiety and live in freedom that the cross provides. I will continue to seek boldness and courage in sharing the good news of Christ Jesus. I'll put my life in God's hands and trust in his provision. I will not live in fear of the unknown and embrace the journey God has me on. I'll be the spiritual leader of my home. I will love Laura as Christ loves me and be willing to lay down my life for her. I will cherish Laura, provide for her, and be faithful to her all my days. When we disagree, I will be the first to apologize, first to forgive, and first to forget. I will strive to never make her look like a fool for loving me. I will love Colton and McKenna unconditionally as God loves us. I will raise them to know the love God has for them. I will teach them honesty and forgiveness through leading by example. When I make a mistake, I will apologize and ask for forgiveness. In the same vein, I will immediately forgive Colton and McKenna for their mistakes. Through God's example, I will love, teach, counsel, and discipline with grace. I will show Colton and McKenna that they are a precious gifts from God. I will protect them and teach them to never settle on good enough, and I will celebrate my family's victories and lift them when they fall. This, with a humbled heart, I declare on January thirtieth,
0: two 2019. Wow. Wow. Powerful, absolutely powerful. My dad was a World War II vet, and my dad provided for us, sent us to private school, got a great education. and he did a lot of stuff. But you know, what he, he didn't do real well most of his life was he didn't tell me why he was doing it. I was just like one of eight children in, that got to live under his house. And a lot of times the reasons why I was to do something was because he told me so. Well, this is the way that we do it here, and you're going to do it that way. But if we had had something like this, and I came to believe at the, towards the end of my father's life that he loved me very much as Brenton loves his kids. But unlike Colton and McKenna, I didn't know this. This was locked in my dad's mind. And parents, just because you know that you love them and you know where you want them to be doesn't mean that they know where you want them to be doesn't mean that you've communicated that to them. But the power of this manifesto, that no matter if you get to live to 100 or you get to live, you know, tomorrow the Lord calls you home, that in this manifesto has been declared to your children forever is why you do what you do. You know, without this, spankings become dangerous. Okay? They really become dangerous. Uh, Without this, restrictions become dangerous. Without this, slapping software on your kid's phone, is great as I think that is, and as part of the boundaries, but this tells them why. This shows motive and, and the methodology behind what you're doing, and that makes, it, that makes it work so much more. Ted, now I want you to hear Ted's. Ted's is different. I mean, and because Ted is writing a manifesto about himself and kind of like the first person. You know, so he's he's talking to himself because a lot of what we think about ourselves and the impact that we have uh, happens when we're staring at ourselves in the mirror. I want you to hear what he says.
2: Okay. You are the beloved child of the living God. Everything flows from this identity. This is the preeminent relationship of your life love the wife of your youth and guard your heart nothing else in life is right if your relationship with her isn't healthy model the love of the father to your children the years raising them are short and precious make the most of them recognize you raise your children to leave you and help launch them into adulthood when the time comes whenever you work do it to the best of your ability Be where your feet are and be content with your pay. God provides for your needs. Be accepting, trusting, stable, creative, optimistic, and supportive. While you strive to live at peace with all, speak the truth, even if it leads to conflict. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are convinced of how much God loves them. And those who need to be loved the way God loves them until such time as they are convinced of how much God loves them. Until proven otherwise, assume people are the latter and love them well. Life is transient and precious. People and relationships mean more than paychecks and prestige. Control what you can control. Leave the rest to God. Live passionately, love deeply, forgive quickly, and pray continually.
0: Wow. What an amazing thing to say to oneself when one gets up in the morning. You know, I do funerals, I'm not crazy about them. And one of the, cra- the things that make funerals so difficult is that we have to sort through a lot of paperwork and a lot of testimonies and a lot of differing testimonies about the dude I'm about to bury. It's like, and then there isn't a lot of information and maybe you get some old Joe that hung out at the VFW with him and he tells an old war story. But you know what? There will be no doubt about these men, about what they live for, what they breathe for, what they strive for in their life. Because if we can't figure out what you were doing your funeral, that means nobody figured out what you lived for when you were alive. And this is one of those things. And Joshua says, I'm going to build a testimony, a witness of what I believe that will speak to me and speak to all those in journey with me about what I am about. And you guys have built that. Let me just uh, say, did you share it with your family?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So uh, while working on it, I I shared it with Laura throughout the time I was always finishing up, and then uh, we've talked about it with the kids. And They can't read yet, but my hope is uh, the time as they start to read, they're going to be able to read it um,
0: every day as as the time progresses. Yeah. Wow. How about you, Ted? How did that presentation go for you?
2: So we actually made it part of our Thanksgiving dinner. So we we sat down, and before they got to eat, which I'm sure they appreciated, um, I presented this document. I read it to them, and then we're a little old-fashioned. We still have a dining room. We actually take all our meals in the dining room. So this now hangs in our dining room, uh, so that every meal uh, the kids can see it. And I've told them: I've told my eight-year-old, I've told my 19-year-old, I told my wife, if I am not living this, they have the right and permission to call me on it, and to tell me that I'm not living the life that I want to live, that I said I was going to live.
0: Wow, that is powerful. I, you know, I, listening to yours, it said you, you said you'd be the first. first to do what? Uh, First to forgive. First to, oh oh, I think it's the word apology I said first to apologize.
1: Apologize. Dude. First to apologize. Man it's
0: too bad you already mounted it. I know. You know (laughs) I would have pulled that baby back. But I'll tell you what this does is if they ever have an argument Laura can just kind of walk over there in the middle of the argument and kind of like put her you know, like yeah. right there and like, okay, honey. You know, just kind of walk. But you know, that's the powerful thing. I love Thanksgiving dinner because Thanksgiving we talk about what the pilgrims did, what the Native Americans did. We talk about what God does. But I'll tell you what; those are all manifestos that happened in somebody else's past. Uh, you on Thanksgiving gave gave them the future, and that, if any child is going to have a great Thanksgiving, it's when their dad gives them a great future. Let's give it up for these guys. Man, i tell you what. You're going to forget what I'm talking about by 8 o'clock tonight. But in those households, those children and those wives will never forget what their husbands were about. And we all can do this if we would just declare what's going on in our hearts, if we can take the abstract concept of beliefs and bring them into the, into the place of, 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 of time and space, that's what they're doing, they're bringing it into time. Most of us are what we, we're not theists, most of us are deists. We hold God outside of time and space and nobody knows what we're doing in time and space, what we're about. But theism, believing in God, is when you take this idea and it becomes visible in the time space world of your family, your workplace. So, when we start writing our manifestos, there's just a, a couple places to start and just a couple easy points as you're going through it. Make sure you start your manifesto with grace. Each of them did refer to the grace of God, what God thinks about them. See the God picture. See the the way God sees your life and the way that he sees the future. Embrace forgiveness. Embrace a new future. You know, one of the reasons, the principal reason why the eye dilates, you know, your pupil does that whole dilation thing, is to enable your eye to be able to see in moments of darkness. That dilation gives you the ability to bring in more light so that you don't stumble over the furniture or the chair, whatever it is in your house, so that you can have some sort of vision. Starting with grace, grace is the dilation of your soul. It is the expanding of your soul through the love of God that gives you the ability to see in a life that maybe has gone dark, in a marriage that's lost vision where you're stumbling over mistakes in your past in your life. So when you start with grace, you're dilating your soul through the mercy and the grace of God. And that's the way that you should start your manifesto, declaring the grace of God. Then start with yourself. A lot of people start with the manifestos and and then out the door they go, I'm gonna get those Democrats. I'm going to write something about them, them Republicans, or those liberals, or the conservatives, or I'm going I'm to go on my mission to change the world. Your manifesto should start with what God's doing in your life, the changes about your life. Begin placing the principles of God in place in your life. And make sure in your manifesto that you use words that mean something. I think a lot of us could go out and say, I declare that I will be holy. Holy. What does that mean what does that mean to an 8 year old boy walking past your manifesto absolutely nothing i'm not always sure what i know mean by i'm going to be more holy in my life but make it more like terms that can be understood like i want to be more like jesus i want to i want to forgive like jesus i want to receive forgiveness from jesus and i want to live my life living like jesus lived with people around him use Use ideas that people can walk past and they they get it, even if they're not religious or or even Christian. But start with yourself. Don't begin to go home with a manifesto and to change your husband or to change your wife or go to work um, and begin changing the people around you. Then start to manifest. Remember, to start manifesting... You need to start with others the exact same way God started with you. And that means if God starts with you with grace, you start with people with grace. You communicate to them love. You call them into relationship with God, not perfection. You know, just a quick little side note. When my kids were growing up, they had these promise rings. And uh, that meant that you were going to be a virgin until you got married. Somebody came up with that idea. I thought it was a pretty cool thing, and and I didn't have it when I was a kid. I, I was raised Catholic. There was only one virgin, and it was Mary. Um, it, but I, I didn't know anything about anything else about that. So, uh, so when I came to Jesus, it was long. It was long gone. But one of the one of the things that that happened in that whole process was um, uh, little girls and young men were were um, doing these promise rings and and. And the promise ring became most important. Uh, virginity became the most important thing. And that when you lose that, you've soiled your life for the rest of your life. Now, there is a great degree of advantage and, uh, that God gives us through, through following after biblical principles like virginity and, and not cheating on our spouses and things like that. There is a benefit in godliness every way. But... Could you imagine what it's like when you're a father and your 17-year-old daughter who made a promise ring thing comes home and you notice on her index finger that something's missing? You know, and as a dad, you could go up to them and say, hey, I noticed your ring's gone. What's up? You know? But you gotta, in those moments, remember that I'm calling somebody into relationship with God, not into perfection. That this is a great time where you share your story on how the mercy of God forgave you and that your life, could, that life can be brand new all over again. So when, when you start with people around you, remember your purpose of your manifesto should be calling people into relationship, not into perfection. But also recognize the sphere of your influence. Don't overextend your manifesto. Your manifesto doesn't probably need Facebook to be a reality. Blah, out to Facebook does not make a manifesto. Understand, God gave you arms to determine what your reach is. Your manifesto has reach. There was really a, a perfect example of this. This guy was a centurion. He worked for Rome. His boss was the emperor who thought he was God. You know, so, he, he, you know. so um, one day he runs into Jesus. Let me read the story to you. Jesus enters Capernaum, and a centurion comes to him and asks for help. He says, Lord... My servant lies at home paralyzed and in in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And the centurion replied and said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. See, he understood the power of reach that Jesus had. He also understood that even servants in his house deserved care. It, this wasn't his son or his daughter that he was beseeching help for. This was one of the servants that were in his house because he understood that he was a man of authority. Let me read continue. He says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man of authority. I understand the spheres of influence with soldiers unto me. I tell one to go and he goes and another to come and he comes and I say to, to my servant, do this and he does this. And when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith and understanding of the power of, of biblical manifesto in their lives. See, the, under, the centurion understood the reach of his manifesto. He cared for the people of his house. You know, he, he cared for those that were in the household of his influence. But meanwhile, he works for a boss who is going to order him to crucify Jesus who he's talking to. He's like, "What?" It's like, "Well, this, so you mean to tell me that this could be the centurion that's standing at the foot of the cross?" Well, if he's not the centurion, he's at least knowledgeable of that centurion that's standing at the foot of the cross at the death of Christ. And say, well, I don't understand how we could be a Christian and do that. Is it because there are some realms where we just don't have that reach? You know, that that he realizes, I'm not probably going to change the emperor. I'm probably not going to overthrow the Roman Empire. But I can care for those who are within my reach. And that God has put us in place to have spheres of influence and reach. And that you and I, we may not be able to immediately change the atmosphere of our government, but God's given us a reach. God wants us to to understand how to reach our household, how to reach our communities. He's given us a democratic process by which when I get to vote, that's my reach. I get to extend it. And when I vote, I try to vote the best I can in a way that honors God and brings about his principles. But we need to realize that there are some things, ladies, you, you know, you got to understand your reach with your husband. Peter says that, and it sounds kind of chauvinist, but he, he's basically saying, ladies, don't lecture your husband. Your reach doesn't go there. It, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. He's not listening to you most of the time anyway. But it, it, it just, just stop. Just love him, live, live right before him, honor him. But you know what? Your reach doesn't go to you giving him a piece of your mind and you're going to change him. It probably doesn't work. It's, Paul says the same thing to, uh, to husbands. He says, husbands, do not be embittered against your wives. Meaning, your, use, your reach of your masculinity to bully your wife needs to stop right now. He's like, that's not how you reach into the sphere of influence of her life. He says, let me tell you how you do it. Cherish your wife. Make her feel safe and loved and and, and just the most precious thing in the world. He said, that's how you influence. But it's not with your big old chest sticking out and you bullying her. So he told them, stop being embittered against your wives. To dads, you know, who who are kind of in control of our household, which is cool. We set the boundaries, which is great. But the apostle Paul even warns dads about their reach. He says, Uh, Dads, do not, here's an overreach word, exasperate your children. You know? Don't always say, because I told you so. Manifesto to them. Let them know. There are some times when I told you so is really the only answer they need. But there are also times when we overreach our manifesto. And we correct or spank or whatever, however it is that you do the whole discipling, discipline thing, where we got to recognize, ah, your reach isn't right. My father one time was fishing with Deanna, and, and I knew that when he went fishing in the boat with Deanna, that Deanna, she was like six years old, I knew she was going to tick him off. I just, She was just that kind of kid that always asked why, and she was just going to tick him off. And so I saw them going away in the boat. It's a little boat as they're going off fishing. As soon as they were coming back up the creek and I saw them, I looked down. I And I saw Deanna in the front of the boat with her head down. I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. And, you know, I was like a dad like you are. I was like, I don't want anybody spanking my kids, okay, even my pop. I don't want you to spank because you didn't do such a good job spanking me, you know. So sure enough, she gets off the boat and she's walking and we're walking together. She goes, Dad, it happened to me. I said, What? He abused me. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Let's, let's talk about it. What, what did you do? Well, he told me not to stick my cup in the water. And I said, okay, did you stick your cup in the water? He, she said, well, I put the back end of the cup in, but I didn't scoop the water. I'm like, oh, man. The dude's a World War II vet. He doesn't know the difference between dipping and scooping, you know? <laughs> and so um, I, I, he apparently tapped her on her hand like that. And so I got popped. I got Pop aside that evening, and I said, Pop, I heard that uh, you had to correct Deanna, and you popped her on the hand. And he goes, yeah, yeah, she disobeyed me. I said, well, that's not where we end in this family. I need you to reconnect with her. I need you to sit down with her, and I need you to tell, you why, tell her why that occurred, and I need you to reaffirm that you love her. I said, if you don't love her, I don't need you ever touching my children again. But if you love her, and maybe correction is a part of that, I need you to tell her why and reaffirm this. See, and pa, I mean, he had tears in his eyes and everything. He's like, I just didn't know that. I didn't. He didn't know how to do that. Uh, he thought just telling him to knock it off and punch that everybody knew that we loved him, or that he loved us. No, we didn't get it. When you the word, idea, phrase, I didn't get it means it wasn't manifestoed. It never manifested itself that you liked me or that you were proud of me. All that manifested was that I was yours. I was your responsibility. See, but Manifesto would have cleared all that up. And he did get together with Deanna, they had a great moment and, and pop learned. So, wherever you are in your life, it's time to, to start with grace, to start with yourself and to begin the process of manifesting. Um, make sure your, your motive is clear. If you went home and you put anti-porn software on your son's phone, that's great. I think that's awesome. And I salute your courage. But did you communicate the motive? Or did he just interpret it that you don't trust him and you think he's, he's a dirtbag looking at bad stuff on the internet? Did you communicate the full motive of why you're doing it? Did you communicate your struggle to him? Make sure that your method is explained, if age appropriate. Write a manifesto for your relationships, for your family, for your work environment. But remember to see the vision of God in your manifesto. It's about honoring him and serving him in sincerity and truthfulness. Explain and reveal your manifesto to those who are close to you. I love what the guy's example for us. I think that's what the cross does for us. I don't understand why God had Joshua destroyed the Amalekites. And I know a lot of you wrestle with that story. I don't understand why the flood kind of covered the earth and wiped out a bunch of people. You're kind of like, that's a heck of a story. And then I don't understand, well, how does that story go with he delivers them from Egypt and they walk through the Red Sea and they get on the other side and all the other stories that go on. It's like, I'm not really sure I understand this. Kind of like my dad seems like a World War II vet. And then the cross occurs. The manifesto. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Ah, I still don't understand why he wiped out the Amalekites. But I do know what's in his heart. I still don't understand everything about the flood, but I understand his motives now towards humanity, that he so loves us, and the cross is the stone that was laid. It was fashioned, like Joshua rolled his stone and placed it and built it. The cross is the stone of God that has been placed as a testimony a GPS navigation point to all the world that this is what I am about I'm about saving broken lives and I pay the price to save them we receive that from God it is now our turn to give that gift and that proclamation to the world around us Father as we enter into this moment as we eat the bread of life As we dip the bread into the cup that was shed for us of the blood of Jesus, we are reminded of your manifesto. And we may not understand why wars occur, why crime occurs, why hurricanes and earthquakes occur. We may not understand all the different things of the world, but you, in the middle of the journey of our lives, you have placed a chief cornerstone who is Christ the Lord. You have laid in Zion a firm foundation, a cornerstone. And that cornerstone says that I so love the world that I gave up that which is most precious for me to gain the lives of those around me. God, speak to us as we receive communion. Speak to us on how we communicate that manifesto we build that we write that and communicate it to the